My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. Is the Great Commission that the Lord gave to His apostles after His resurrection, is it for us today during the church age? Hey, welcome back. Uh, the next couple of episodes, actually the next couple of lessons, I got, I think, four episodes in the podcast planned um, to kind of give a couple, like an appendix to our, our study on discipleship. I want to take a, a, a closer and more doctrinal look at what we commonly call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, Acts chapter 1, where Jesus Christ says, you know, go and teach all nations or go and make disciples, go preach the gospel to all creatures, that one. I want to take a, a good, hard, detailed look at what that Great Commission is in its context. And I want to take, I want to take some time to do it. That's why I said I've got, I got two lessons. I got one lesson here on the Great Commission. Um, is it our commission or is it not? Okay, we're going to take a lesson, two episodes I think we're going to do on this. And then I want to move from, from this perspective into the big error with the Great Commission. And so what is the problem we see today with the Great Commission and how people are applying the Great Commission to the church? And the, the answer to that question and the topic of of that lesson, and I think we're going to take at least two, maybe three episodes on that one, is is all summed up in one word, anachronisms, okay, anachronisms. And we're going to get into that later. But t- today and in the next episode, we're going to talk about the Great Commission. And I want to take a, a doctrinal look at the Great Commission. Now, I asked the question, um, is the Great Commission that the Lord gave his apostles after his resurrection, they're at the end of the Gospels, at the beginning of the book of Acts, is it for us today in the church age? Now, if that question sounds odd to you, that why would anyone even ask that question? Obviously, the Great Commission is is for us today. I'd invite you to stick around, okay? Have the patience, stick around. It's about an hour that we're going to talk today, about another hour in our our next podcast. Um, Stick around because I want to talk about the doctrinal context of the Great Commission. And and, And sometimes I can just see it, there's a lot of people just rolling their eyes, Oh, it's another one of these doctrinal messages that's not applicable to us. I like practical messages. You know, I like, I like my sermons to be like a TED Talk. Give me something to make me feel good, something that can, you know, make my life better. Well, there's more to the Bible and there's more to what God is doing in creation than your little life. And if we take the Bible, now don't, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of self-help um, advice in the Bible. If you want to, you want you want the best self help book in the world, man. Grab the Bible. I mean, self help. Yeah, get, stay out of hell and get saved. That's that's the biggest piece of self help advice you know I could give you right now. And then the Bible will teach you, you know, how to have a good marriage, how to raise your kids, you know, how to keep your finances in order, um, how how you're supposed to do your job. It's a great self help book. But if if that's all we have in the Bible is a self help book. Well, then we've reduced the Bible, the, the self-declaration of our Creator. We've reduced the Scripture 
to our own little lives. And it's, it's really limited. It's kind of a myopic kind of uh, view of the Bible. It just kind of stops at our life. Whereas if we take a, a doctrinal look at the Bible, if we take a step back and we look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we see the structure of the Bible and how God has laid this out, and we take the, the self-evident, the natural divisions of the Bible, and we learn from them, and we see how God has given us Scripture in progressive revelation. God didn't just write the book and then dump it on us all at once. He wrote the book in sections in kind of a progressive revelation through history. And so we find that our doctrine, our teaching about God in the Bible, it comes to us through history, and it's, it's written in a history book. So as we learn the history of the Bible, the biblical history contained in the Bible, we learn about God. And as we learn about God, we learn about what God expects of us. And when we take an overall doctrinal look at the Bible like that, we see a very large picture, something larger than our little limited lives. And instead of seeing how God and the Bible fit into our lives, we see how our lives fit into the plan and purpose of God that's revealed in the Bible. That motivates us. That's what sets our eyes and affection on things above and sets our eyes and affection on Jesus Christ. And we say, yeah, man, there's something more going on with God and his kingdom program than my little life and my little ideas about self-help and TED Talk sermons. And so when we're looking at this message today, we're talking about the Great Commission and its doctrinal application, and we get into some deep weeds. When we get off into this doctrinal stuff, and you say, whoa, 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 my head's starting to hurt. It's like taking a drink from a fire hose. You got to slow down. Let me just say this. As we learn the doctrine of the Bible, these doctrinal aspects of the the, the cumulative context, this chronological context of passages in the Bible, as we learn how the, the, the cumulative and chronological context of passages fit into the progressive revelation of Scripture, and then we see how we fit into that historical context, that's the glue that holds the pieces of the Bible together. Okay, that's, that's the, the, the honey of the Bible. That's the fun stuff. And I'm telling you, I think we're going to have some fun looking at the Great Commission today in our next episode, and, and then later as we get into talking about some of the anachronisms, some of the chronological errors that people make when they approach the Bible and they talk about Scripture. Now, and here's the rule that we're going to follow, okay? Um, in my introduction to this podcast, you hear my little spiel. Look, I'm not a pastor. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a teacher in a church. Okay, I, I meet with a couple of people. I attend church. I got a podcast. You know, I used to be a missionary. Um, I, I'm just kind of a normal guy. Go street preaching every now and then. Would like to go out more often than not. And just looking for an opportunity to, to where, where does God want me to fit in? So I am not your final authority. I'm not your pastor. I'm not your teacher. This is basically my Bible study that I need. And I'd like to, to just throw out there to say, hey, if this is a help to you, then, man, praise the Lord. And if it's not, then you can turn me off and go somewhere else. But today, the rule that we're going to follow is that the Bible can speak for itself. The Bible, if it is going to be God's authoritative word, if we are going to take the Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, 
as God's authoritative revelation in written form, then we have to let the Bible speak for itself. If we come to the Bible with preconceived ideas and force our ideas on Scripture to make Scripture say what we want it to say, we have exerted our authority over Scripture. So we want to approach Scripture with humility, submission, and obedience. To say what the Bible says, that is what I will believe. And so the question that we're going to ask ourselves throughout all of this study that we're going to be doing on the Great Commission and the anachronisms uh, that are committed with relation to the Great Commission, we're going to ask the question, the key question, what does the Bible say? Then we can understand what it means for us today and how we can apply it. But we have to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say? And so in terms of methodical Bible study, that's observation. We need to just open the Bible and say, what does the Bible say in its context? Just look at the words. The context is not that difficult. Now look, the key, one of the key didactic tools for understanding this chronological context of the passages we're going to study in Scripture, or if you want to call it cumulative context, as you read from Revelation up or from Genesis up to Revelation, each book has a cumulative context that comes like, like baggage from the books that were written before it. Well, the, the didactic tool that helps us to put all that into perspective is the timeline. The timeline, because the book was written in history, and the, his, the, the history of the biblical content goes from, goes from genera- generation to revolution. It goes from gen- Genesis to, to Revelation. And so we just need to observe what the Bible says in its historical context, and it's basically chronology. What went before? Where are we now? And we need to be careful to not read in things that came after into that which is before, okay? And so what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say in its context? So as we ask this question, is the Great Commission for us today? The Great Commission that the, the Lord gave his apostles after his resurrection, before his ascension, the end of the Gospels, beginning of the book of Acts, is it for us today? And, you know, like I said, if, the, if that sounds like an odd question, like why would anybody ask that question? Or if that kind of went right up your nose and you're like, who is this idiot who's asking that if the, does the Great Commission apply to us today? Let me just say at the beginning, yes. In principle, we, we apply the Great Commission. Um, and I think I mentioned that enough during our series on discipleship that the Great Commission, this carrying of the gospel message to the world, is basically the, the principal stewardship that comes with participating in the New Covenant, okay? The New Covenant that was made in the in the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. You know, obviously that covenant was made with Israel, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The church, Gentiles, we do not receive the, the, the New Covenant. That's for Israel only. And yet God took the salvation that was made available through that New Covenant And he took that salvation, Acts 28, 28, the salvation he offered to to Israel under the, the, the new covenant. He took that salvation out to the Gentiles directly. So, you know, he cut off the 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 natural branches Israel to graft the the Gentiles in, and he offered us salvation directly uh, through Jesus Christ. We don't have to go through Israel anymore. But that's the only part of the new new covenant that we get. It's the salvation. It's the forgiveness of sins and the new birth. But because of that, we have also received part of the stewardship that comes along with the, the new covenant. And part of that stewardship is the, the principal part 
is the Great Commission, to, to make disciples. It's discipleship. It's to see the lost become saved and see the saved become conformed to the image of Christ. It's evangelism and, and evangelism and discipleship. It's evangelism and edification. It's that process of discipleship, salvation and sanctification. And so the Great Commission is the mission that God has given us today during the Church Age. Our life's mission is the Great Commission. But it is only our mission in principle. Okay, so so let's just remember where we're at. We, you know, we talked a lot about discipleship and, and our purpose and mission in life. Our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Okay? We glorify God and we enjoy Him forever. How do we do that? Okay, now that question takes us to our life's mission. Our purpose, glorify God, enjoy Him forever. How do we do that? Well, John 17.4 gives us the answer, and we do that, John 17.4, Jesus Christ, right before going to the cross, he's praying to the Father, and he says, I have glorified thee on earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So how did Jesus Christ glorify God the Father on earth? How did he do that? He says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. How do we glorify God and join forever? Well, we finish the work that God gave us to do. That's just plain and simple. Well, then, this is what this is what led us into our last study: discipleship. Well, okay, then, what is that work? What does God want us to do? And we we develop that that idea of the work that God wants us to do. And we saw that the work God wants us to do is related to that term disciple even though that term is not used after the book of Acts because Jesus Christ is no longer physically present on, on the earth to follow, so the concept of, of discipleship has changed, and so God changed the terminology of discipleship, and, and we see in the Bible it's not used, but it is a valid term. A disciple, a disciple is a follower of Christ who's becoming more and more like his master. That's what Paul says in Romans 8.29, that we're being conformed to the image of Christ. And so the work God gave us to do can be expressed in that very simple phrase. Our life's mission is to be and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God left us here. And we will glorify God and enjoy Him forever if we are being and making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's easy, easy, easy to understand, not so easy to do, especially in today's world of modern churches and, and dead traditional legalistic churches. I mean, it's hard to find a good local body where somebody's actually doing this, you know? But really, it's easy to understand. And so we, we, we took this, we developed it, you know, in the, the modern vocabulary. We unpacked the idea. We just developed the idea in the Bible and saw that, that God wants us to evangelize and edify. He wants us to evangelize the lost um, so that they can be saved and become disciples, and then he wants us to edify the saved to help them grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and be conformed to his image. And so here's, here's where we're left. You know, if we are to be and make disciples, that kind of takes us back to the Great Commission, because that Great Commission is a mission that the disciples cooperate in, that they do together. It's a cooperative mission, a co-mission. And we see that this co-mission is to go and make disciples, okay? And how do we do that? Well, that's kind of one of the things we looked at. You know, you go and evangelize and, 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 and edify. But this is the same mission that God, that Jesus Christ gave to his, his followers at the end of the Gospels. Just for example, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. 
And I'm going to be referring to Matthew 28, 18 to 20 a lot, and probably a lot more than the other passages, although we're going to mention and study the other passages. I'm going to use Matthew 28, 18 through 20, just because it's probably it's probably the passage that is used by most preachers and churches, you know, when they're doing a missions conference or, or whatever, they always run back to Matthew 28 to say, oh, here's our great commission, okay? Now here it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, to his disciples, the eleven disciples, Judas was dead, in uh, Matthew 28, 18, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. And so, well, what's the problem? What's the problem with the Great Commission and us today in the Church Age? Well, the Great Commission was given very specifically to Israel, in another age, under another dispensation. It's, it's to say that the, the Great Commission was given in the context of another stewardship that God had dispensed to other stewards, very specifically to Israel. And so we need to study the Great Commission We need to study the Great Commission and establish its biblical and doctrinal context in order to to avoid twisting Scripture to try and make it say what we want it to say. And because the Great Commission was given under or during another dispensation, another age, during another stewardship where there were other stewards that God was using to establish and extend His kingdom, uh, this has led to another problem in the body of Christ. You know, we're going to talk a lot about anachronisms and people running back to the Great Commission in the Gospels and saying it's for us, it's for us, it's for us, it's only for us, it's all for us. That's one extreme. That's the extreme of people just grabbing willy-nilly every passage in the Bible and saying, it's for me, it's for me, it's for me, it's for me, when it's not. That's one extreme. Well, the other extreme is the the hyper-dispensational extreme. Because there are those, and I know there are fewer of these folks um, today than there are of the other extreme. Most, Most people just can't even come to grips with the idea that the Great Commission might not have been given to us Christians in the Church Age. You know, they just bump into this page between Malachi and and Matthew, a page that says New Testament, and their mind shuts down, and they just say, "Oh well, all of the everything after that's for me." Well, no, it's not. Jesus Christ, Galatians four four, was born under the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ, in 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 the vast majority of the Gospels, is living under the law, the law of Moses. And he's ministering to Israel, not necessarily to the Gentiles. The Gentiles come in later, much later, okay, much later. And so we're going to look at some of that. But then we get on this other side of the extreme, and we see the hyper-dispensationalists, and they say, you know what, the Great Commission was given under another dispensation, therefore it is not for us in any way, shape, or form. 
And so there's a lot of winds of, there's these winds of doctrine that are blowing out there because uh, so many people just, they don't want to put in the time and effort to methodically study the scripture and just approach the Bible with observation, then interpretation based on correlation to get to an application. Observation is, what does the Bible say in its context? It should, hey, I got to come up to, to my Bible and read it and say, you know, what, what, is, what does the Bible say in its context? That's observation. And then you ask yourself, well, what does it mean to me today in the church age? And we often arrive at that interpretation by, number one, comparing Scripture with Scripture. That's correlation. Correlating one passage with another that has a, a similar uh, teaching in it or a dissimilar teaching to see a contrast, and we compare Scripture with Scripture to get a proper interpretation. Secondarily, that correlation also means we compare our interpretation with the interpretation of other Bible-believing saints through books, teaching, sermons, audios, whatever, so we make sure we're not getting off into the ditch somewhere with some weird doctrine. And so we get to our interpretation, we test our interpretation with correlation. Scripture with Scripture, our primary source. Secondary source, we test our interpretation with correlation with other secondary sources, books, commentaries, audios, videos, somehow comparing what we are learning with what other saints, Bible-believing saints, have learned, okay? And then that'll get us to our application. It's, it's not difficult. It might sound difficult, um, but it's not. It's just, hey, what does the Bible say, and how can we apply it, you know, in our, in our context? And so we want to avoid both extremes. Um, the answer to the question, is the Great Commission applicable to us today? Well, yeah, sure it is. Sure it is. But we need to know how to apply it to us today, because we don't just apply it directly. I'm sorry, we don't. Um, and that's the big problem with the Great Commission. Uh, it's anachronisms. You cannot take something that was written to other people in another age, in another time, under another dispensation, during another stewardship, and say, it's just for me. That's a problem. And that's why I say doctrine is important. Okay, you, Application comes after, after observation and interpretation. We observe and interpret what the Bible says. That's doctrine. And if you don't do that, yeah, I know, it's, it's nice to apply the Bible. I get it, okay? I get it. Um, just doctrine is like that knowledge without love. Is, it's not edifying. We need that love aspect, and we need to put into action what we're learning. But if we don't start with doctrine, uh, you're going to end up in a ditch. Seriously. And so let's talk first here about the Great Commission in context. And let's ask ourselves, okay, let's, ask, let's talk about the revelation of the church. Now, when I talk about the church, okay, now I know that you trace that word through your English Bible, um, church can refer to any called-out group, okay? I think it's in Acts chapter 7, where the King James Bible, uh, it mentions Israel in the desert, okay, back when they were wandering in the desert after the Exodus, before Joshua took them into the land, and it, and it talks about the church in the desert, okay? And so it refers to God's called-out group, Israel, and it calls them a church, okay? That's a translation of the, the Greek word, uh, what is it, ecclesia or ecclesiast or something like that, right? And so it's basically the, the, the base definition is a called-out group. 
we're not talking about the base definition of church, okay? What I want to what I want to talk about is the body of Christ. The church, the body of Christ, where born again believers, the body of born again believers, where Christ is in us and we have been born again and we have also been made part of Christ. We are members of his body. When did God reveal the church the body of Christ, which is made up of members from Jew and Gentile alike. We are made new creatures, sons of God, and placed in the body of Christ by the Spirit of Christ. Because the Bible says that the church, the body of Christ, was hidden until Paul. It was a mystery not revealed until God revealed that mystery to the Apostle Paul. Now we're going to take this idea and we're going to we're going to develop it in this in in this lesson in this uh, episode the next episode and we're going to look at it even closer when we start talking about anachronisms and the great commission and how this commission can be applied to us but look here's here's the question I want to ask you it's just to put things in context and make you think chronologically when is it that God revealed the doctrine of the church the body of Christ. Jews and Gentiles together as members of one body equals in in the family of God. When did God reveal that? Okay, we're not talking about, hey, when did it start? Uh, You know, who was the first person or people in the body? We're not talking, when did God reveal it? Because a thing can exist and not be revealed. Nobody knew about the church before God revealed it. So when did God reveal it? Here's some very key passages, and we'll keep coming back to these. The first one, um, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. The Bible says, Paul, he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Now, now right there, stop. By revelation, this is direct revelation from God. He, God, made known unto me, Paul, the mystery. So right here, God revealed the mystery to Paul. To no one else before Paul, he gave it to Paul first. Then Paul says in a parenthesis, he says, As I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Then he goes on, verse 5, which in other ages, this is before Paul, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed by the Spirit. Okay, now he describes the mystery, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, and this is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see 
what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. When did God reveal the doctrine of the church, the body of Christ, Jews and Gentiles alike, members in one body, equally, equally in the family of God? God had this mystery hidden, it says, from the beginning of the world until Paul. And so, look, this means, in in terms of chronology within the Bible context, that from the beginning of the world, Genesis 1-1, until Acts chapter 9, when, when Paul converted to Christ, God saved him, no one knew anything about the church, the body of Christ. God gave this revelation first to Paul. There's one more passage that confirms this, comparing Scripture with Scripture, allowing the correlation of the Bible to teach us what, what God wants us to know. Galatians 1, 11 to 17. This is a sister passage to Ephesians 3, 1 to 7. Both of these passages are key to understanding the answer to our question, when did God reveal the church? Now, Galatians 1.11, Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, he says, I guarantee it, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. Now, Paul is honing down this revelation very specifically, and he's saying, look, the gospel that I preach, it's not a man. It's not after man, verse 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, look, I'm preaching a gospel nobody preached before. That's what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'm preaching a gospel nobody preached before. I'm preaching a gospel that I never heard from another man until I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Verse 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. That's Acts 1-8. to But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace, Acts chapter 9, to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, among the Gentiles. He says, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So as soon as Paul got saved in Acts chapter 9, immediately, he says, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. He did not talk with the twelve. He says, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus, Arabia, where Mount Sinai is. That's where God gave him the revelation of the church. That's where God gave him the revelation of his gospel. Paul received a new revelation directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. Before speaking with other men, before speaking with the twelve apostles, before getting any type of instruction, he went off into the Arabian desert and heard from God. And the revelation that God gave him was the revelation of the gospel that he preached and the revelation of the mystery of the body of Christ that was hidden in God 
since the foundation of the world. That's important. That if you ha- lay out your timeline in your mind or on a piece of paper, and you can start on the left of your piece of paper and put Genesis 1-1, and you can draw a line across that piece of paper to the right, and you can draw a horizontal line over on the right side of your paper, and you can put on that horizontal or that vertical line, you can put Acts chapter 9. And from Genesis 1-1 up to Acts chapter 9, the church is a mystery that God never revealed. He had hidden since the beginning of the world, and he didn't tell anybody about it until he told Paul, and he told Paul first. And within the revelation of the body of Christ, that new revelation that God gave Paul in Acts chapter 9, he gave Paul a new gospel. He gave Paul a new gospel, and I know that that probably sounds heretical to some people. But look at what, just just look, let's compare some scripture with scripture. Acts chapter, Acts, 1 Corinthians 15, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, first four verses. This passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, is probably the best passage in, in Paul's writings to just simply define the gospel that he preached. Okay, what, what did God preach, or what did Paul preach as a gospel, a gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ? What did he preach? Well, 1 Corinthians 15.1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Okay, here it is. Which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. So here's the gospel of our salvation. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So Paul says, here's the gospel I received. Galatians chapter 1. Immediately after being saved, I went out into the, the, the desert of Arabia, out by Mount Sinai. And Jesus Christ, the Lord, he gave me new revelation, which included the revelation of the body of Christ, and also the revelation of this gospel. Well, what is it, Paul? He says, I, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. So the the gospel of the apostle Paul is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I I think we're in agreement on that. I don't think anybody would would disagree with that. That's that's exactly what we preach. But there are those who would say that's the, the one gospel. There is no other gospel. That's the only thing anyone has ever preached. And that, frankly, is ridiculous. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34. Remember, remember, Paul says, I preach the gospel, the gospel by which you are saved, the gospel which I received by direct revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ immediately after my salvation. Okay, so Acts chapter 9, here's what, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Amen. Well, that's not, that, that's not the only gospel. It can't be. Because you see, the apostles back in, back in the gospels were preaching a gospel message. Were they not? They were sent out to preach the good news. Well, look at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, verses 31 to 34. It says, Then he took unto unto him the twelve, Jesus took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, shall be mocked, spitefully entreated, and spitted upon. Verse 33. And they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Oh, there's the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel that Paul preached, 
This is the gospel by which we are saved today in the church age. Verse 34, and they, the twelve, understood none of these things, and this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. And so you cannot say that the twelve disciples of Jesus Christ were preaching the same gospel Paul preached after Acts chapter 9 because they did not understand it. And even when we get to post-resurrection, Acts chapter 1, post-resurrection disciples, okay, post-resurrection interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is before Paul's saved. This is, this, is, this is still between resurrection and ascension. And it says, when they, the eleven, because Judas is dead, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, when they, the apostles, therefore were come together, they asked of him Jesus, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You see, what are they asking about? They're not asking about a gospel of grace to establish a a church age for 2,000 years. They're asking about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel because in the cumulative context up to this point, there is no revelation of the church age. There is no revelation of the body of Christ. It is a mystery that has been hid since the beginning of the world, Genesis 1-1, until Paul, Acts chapter 9, and in Acts chapter 1, nobody knows anything about the church age and the body of Christ. God did not reveal that to anyone until he revealed it to Paul in Acts chapter 9. That's why when we see the, the, the disciples, the, the apostles, go out to Jerusalem in the first chapters of the book of Acts, they're not preaching about establishing local churches among the Gentiles. Folks, they're still in temple worship. Do, do you understand that? If you read through the first few chapters of the book of Acts, nobody is starting local churches. Even the disciples, even the new converts to, to the way, the new followers of Jesus Christ, the believers, they're worshiping in the temple. They gather together in the temple. Temple worship is still a thing. They're not going out and about and establishing churches. What you've done is read back into the first chapters of the book of Acts, the last chapters of the book of Acts, after God revealed the church age and the body of Christ. That's an anachronism. It is against chronology, and it's wrong. It's an error. It's an interpretive error. You cannot read back in the truth that God had not revealed at the time. Look at what Peter says. Peter, he goes out to the streets of Jerusalem, and he preaches to Israel. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. And he speaks to the Jews. He's preaching to, to the Jews. He says, ye, like y'all, okay? He's preaching to a plural, second person plural. He's preaching to Jews, not Gentiles. And he calls these Jews to repentance. Acts chapter 3, 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, verse 20, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. He's preaching the second coming. 
the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, until the kingdom come, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Well, the prophets never spoke a word about the local church, the church, the body of Christ, the church age. The prophets never spoke anything about them because it was a mystery hid from the beginning of the world until Paul. And so Peter's not preaching the church. Peter's not preaching about the church age. That's an anachronism, and it's an interpretive error, and it's wrong. It's wrong. That's why we see Galatians chapter 2. See, that's why we see a change in apostleship. Galatians 2, 7 to 9. Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 7, but contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, uncircumcision being Gentiles, was committed unto me, that's Paul, as the gospel of the circumcision, the circumcision is Israel, was unto Peter. And so there is a gospel of the uncircumcision, that's Paul's gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. There's a gospel of of the circumcision, which is the gospel for Israel, that is the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 8, Galatians 2.8, For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, which is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go to the heathen, the Gentiles, and they unto the circumcision. And so there's a change in apostleship. Peter was given the apostleship of the Jews. Paul was given the apostleship of the Gentiles. See, when, when, Israel, when Israel rejected for the last time, the offer of the kingdom in Acts chapter 7. You see, Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 3 all throughout, all throughout the Gospels. Okay, you've got, I mean, listen to this, Matthew 10. Okay, we'll, we'll take a little, little detour here. Just, just give me a second. Okay, just give me a second. Matthew chapter 10. When Jesus Christ sends out his disciples, it says the twelve these twelve sent Jesus forth and commanded them, saying, this is verse 5, Go not into the way of Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. The Samaritans, they were the, 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 the group that was mixed, kind of half Gentile, half Jew. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This mess, the Gospels, it's, it's the ministry of Jesus Christ to Israel. You, you can't miss it unless you read back into the Gospels the revelation God gave later, after the Gospels. He says, look, verse 7, As ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message that Peter was still preaching in Acts chapter 3. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. Be converted. Jesus Christ will come back and establish his kingdom. That's what they're doing. They are preaching the kingdom all the way up 
to Acts chapter 7. And in Acts chapter 7, the last messenger that God sends to the leaders of Israel in Jerusalem is Stephen. And what happens to Stephen? They stone him. The leaders reject the message, they reject the messenger, and they reject Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the covenant promises of the kingdom. They reject Jesus as their king and therefore reject the kingdom. And God sets Israel aside for a time, not forever, okay? For a time, he sets Israel aside because they rejected his offer. They refused to convert to Jesus Christ, to repent and believe on him. And so God sets them aside. He calls Paul in Acts chapter 9. And he sends the gospel of the grace of God, not the gospel of the kingdom, because the kingdom was rejected by Israel. God postponed the kingdom, the establishment of the messianic Davidic kingdom, what we call the millennium, until after the church age. And he sent the gospel of the grace of God, this new revelation that he gave Paul, the revelation of the body of Christ, Jews and Gentiles, members alike of the same body, through the gospel of the grace of God based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. So, let's go look at another passage. Acts 28, the last chapter of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a book of transition. It shows the transition from Israel to the church, from Jews to Gentile, from Peter to Paul, from the apostleship of the circumcision to the apostleship of the incircumcision. It shows us how we get there, because in the first chapters of the book of Acts, we see God ministering through the twelve Jewish apostles ministering exclusively to the nation of Israel and offering Israel the kingdom if they will repent and receive Jesus as the Messiah, the King, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. When they refuse Jesus as their King, Acts chapter 7, God sets Israel aside for a time, not forever, for a time. And in Acts chapter 9, he raises up Paul, gives Paul new revelation of the body of Christ and the gospel of the grace of God, and he sends him out to the Gentiles. And we see that, that through, this book, through the book of Acts, through the history recorded in that book from chapter 1 to chapter 28, we see this transition from Jews to Gentiles, Jews that reject the Messiah, Gentiles who receive the Messiah. Israel, who rejects God's program, Gentiles who welcome it into their lives, and God begins his work of raising up the church among the Gentiles, whereas Paul moves away from temple worship and starts beginning to establish local churches. Look what it says in Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Paul is still a prisoner. It says, and when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And so Paul is on house arrest. He's still in prison, but he's in, on house arrest. And he's in Rome because he appealed to Caesar. You know, So we, we understand that history. Verse 17, it says, And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. So the, the Jewish leaders in Rome... 
Paul calls them together. All right, and in verse 23 it says, And when they had appointed him a day, there came many, many Jews, many of these Jewish leaders, they came to him in his lodging, where he's in house arrest, to whom he expounded and testified, listen, the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning until evening. He's explaining to the Jews, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic promise of a king to sit on the throne of the kingdom that God gave Israel. Okay? Some believed, verse 24, the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. And after Paul had spoken one word, it says, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Esaias, the prophet, unto our father, saying, Go unto this people, Israel, say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted." and I should heal them. And then he says, Acts 28, 28, key verse, this is where the book of Acts ends. Be it known, therefore, unto you, Israel, you, he's talking to the Jews, the leaders of the Jews in Rome, this is it. Be it known unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. You that didn't want to hear the salvation God was offering to you in Jesus Christ through the new covenant, Gentiles will hear it. And God took the salvation that he had prepared for the Jews, set the Jews aside, and took that salvation out to the Gentiles. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. That change from Jews to Gentiles, from Israel to the church, is what we see in Romans chapter 11, where, God, where Paul speaks of the natural branches of Israel being cut off, okay, Israel set aside for a time, so that God could graft in the Gentiles. But he says, now this is, this is the, the important part, this is only for a time. God is not done with the nation of Israel. But there is a time where Israel is set aside, a time that God never revealed in the Old Testament, a church age where the church, the body of Christ, exists independent, basically, of Israel and its kingdom promises in the, in the covenants of promise in the Old Testament. Romans eleven twenty five. it's only for a time because Paul says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until, it's not forever, it's until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. The change from Israel to the church, from Jews to Gentiles, is what Paul talks about in Romans 11. When he talks about Israel being cut off, Gentiles being grafted in, this is the church age. But the church age exists until the fullness of the, God, fullness of the Gentiles become in. It's until and only until the rapture 
of the church. And then when that happens, God turns his attention back to work with Israel, and Jesus Christ will come the second time, and that will be the salvation of Israel and the establishment of the Davidic and Messianic kingdom that we call the Millennium. Now that's important. That is very important because that meshes perfectly with Daniel chapter 9. And yes, I'm going to take you back to Daniel chapter 9. Now look at your watch, okay? Look at your watch. We're almost an hour into this, and I am just now starting Daniel chapter 9. So if you are looking for a good place to pause this podcast, now's the time because I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop after we talk about Daniel chapter 9 because i got to get this in here so that we can get on to our next episode. This is basically the introductory idea, okay? Then we're going to get into the application of it in the next episode of the podcast. So if you want to pause and take a break, now's the time to do it. The church, the body of Christ, is never mentioned in the Old Testament. There's no prophecy about it. God said very specifically, it is a mystery that was hid since the beginning of the world that he gave first to Paul in Acts chapter 9. So from Genesis 1-1 up to Acts chapter 9, there is no revelation that God gave about the body of Christ. And in Daniel chapter 9, okay, now obviously we are not going to take a detailed look at Daniel chapter 9. That is not my purpose. If you want a more detailed look and a more detailed study of Daniel chapter 9 and the prophecy God gave to Daniel about the 70 weeks, Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 to 27, I would refer to you refer you to my study on uh, things to come in my How to Study the Bible series. You can find that. Go to theology101.net, okay? Theology101.net, that's my landing page up at the top. There is a link to my Bible study site, okay? I've got another another uh, site, it's a wiki. It's bible.kodrovsky.net. Now, if you hit that, um, that link up on the top of theology101.net, it'll take you over to my Theology 101 um, Bible study site. It's basically my online filing cabinet. And there over in the, in the table of contents, uh, you'll see some topical messages and topical series, and one of them is how to study the Bible. And how to study the Bible, there uh, is a series, three-part series on things to come. It's based on Daniel chapter 9, because Daniel chapter 9 is the full-mentioned passage on things to come. You cannot understand things to come if you don't understand Daniel chapter 9. And I guarantee if you don't stick with Daniel chapter 9, you'll get messed up in your doctrine about things to come, okay? Doctrine of things to come, in theological terms, is eschatology. So Daniel chapter 9 is the foundation for our eschatology. And I'm going to begin in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Okay, this is very important because, listen to what it says. Okay, Daniel's praying, he's right at the end of the 70 years of captivity, so he knows God's going to intervene and send Israel back to the land, okay? 70 years of captivity, Babylon, uh, Babylonians came in, took them captive in 606 BC, and Daniel is, is, is praying to God, look, the 70 years is almost over, what, what can we do, what do we do? Uh, God, please do something. And God gives Daniel, in answer to his prayer, this prophecy of the 70 weeks. And Daniel 9.24 says, 70 weeks, Daniel, are determined upon thy people. Okay, who's the people of Daniel? It's Israel. And so again, don't apply this to you. 
you're not Israel. If you're a born-again believer, you're neither Jew nor Gentile. You are a son of God. You're a Christian. You form part of something totally different. It's future. This does not apply to you. This is a prophecy that God gave to the physical nation of Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes, okay? Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, Daniel, and upon thy holy city. This is Jerusalem. And he says, seventy weeks, listen, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. All righty then. Daniel 9.24 says that God gave this prophecy, he pronounced, 70 weeks for Israel. And when those 70 weeks are over, he said he will establish the kingdom, he will set up everlasting righteousness, and he will anoint the king, the Messiah, the most holy. And so, without getting into all the deep weeds with with the 70 weeks in this prophecy, the weeks in this passage are weeks of years. Just think of a week as a block of seven. We talk about Sunday to, to Saturday, that's a week, that's a block of seven days. That is a week of days. In this passage, we have a week of years, okay? Seven years. So, 70 weeks of years is 70 blocks of years. 70 times 7 is 490. So, there's 490 years included in these 70 weeks. There's 70 weeks of years. So, from the time that this prophecy begins until 490 years, after the 490 years, after the 70 weeks, the Messiah will come, he will establish his righteous and everlasting kingdom, he will be anointed the most holy. This refers to the second coming and the establishment of the Davidic and Messianic kingdom we call the millennium. Okay, so that's verse 24. That's our starting point. That's the that's the broad perspective that God gives us. 70 weeks of years, 490 years. They're going to begin at a specific time, and when it's over, the kingdom will come and Jesus Christ will reign, the Messiah. So verse 25. Verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Okay, don't again, don't get lost in, in all the, the, the details and the deep weeds. All God says is, look, our starting point for the 490 years is the going forth of the commandment to restore and, and rebuild Jerusalem. Okay? That's the starting point. That's Ezra chapter 1 when God sends the Jews back to rebuild Jerusalem, okay? So that's the starting point. Now, he says that from that starting point unto the Messiah, you have two groups of years. You have seven weeks, 
and then you have three score in two weeks. A score is 20, three score is 60, three score in two weeks is 62, okay? So seven weeks plus 62 weeks is 69 weeks. That means that from the going forth of that edict in Ezra chapter 1 to go rebuild Jerusalem, until the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of Messiah in the four Gospels, you have 69 of the 70 weeks of the prophecy. Okay, God simply gave us the, the, the 69 weeks in two groups. Okay, there's a first group of, of seven weeks, and then there's a second group of 62 weeks. Together, there's 69 weeks. That means that at the end, that when Jesus Christ shows up, in the Gospels, there's one week left, the 70th week. Verse 26, and after three score and two weeks, that means after that second group of 62 weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. So that's, that's the first coming of Jesus Christ, okay? After three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. That's the crucifixion. See, Jesus Christ was cut off. He was killed on the cross. He died, but not for himself. He died for us. This talks about the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, cut off, but not for himself. That happens after 69 weeks of the prophecy. And it says, And the people of the prince shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That happened in 70 AD with Titus, the Roman general who came down and raised uh, Jerusalem, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So we get to verse 27 in this prophecy, and we know there's only one week left. After Messiah is crucified, he's cut off, but not for himself. After he's crucified, we know there's one week left, the 70th week, and that's verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the, that's the last week. That's the 70th week. And in the midst of the week, so the week divides in, in halves, in the midst of the week, in the, in the half of the week, at the, at the middle, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations shall he make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Again, there's a bunch of deep weeds we could get into, and we might later on, but right now what I want you to see is this last week is after the, the, the crucifixion of the Messiah. And this last week is divided into to two halves, okay? We, we call this last week, Daniel's 70th week, we call it the tribulation. The first half is, is uh, um, what peace and, and security, and then the, the, the last half is this uh, destruction, um, destruction that comes upon the earth, like in Revelation from 4 to 19, the trumpets and the seals and all the weird stuff that happens, okay? But what I want to draw your attention to is... When the Messiah is cut off, you have one week left. That one week is the seven-year period of the tribulation. And at the end of that seven-year period of the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, is the consummation, okay? The consummation of all the promises and prophecies God gave and the covenants of promise to the nation of Israel. It refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah, to establish the Davidic and Messianic kingdom we call the millennium. Now, here's the key question. We just kind of ran through that prophecy really quick. Where's the church? 
Where's the church? Where's the church age? Where's the body of Christ? Where is it in that prophecy? You see, the church, the body of Christ, is not mentioned once in that passage because it's a mystery that God hid from the beginning of the world until Paul. If you want to place the church, the body of Christ, and the almost, what, 2,000 years of the church age, you have to place the church, the body of Christ, in the gap between Daniel 9.26 and 9.27. It is a parenthetical gap between week 69, with the crucifixion of the Messiah, and week 70, which is the tribulation that ends with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I did use that word gap on purpose. I did. Because there's a lot of people that get their knickers in a knot when people talk about a gap back in Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. A gap in which fits the rebellion of Lucifer and the angels. And they say God would never hide something like that. God gives us his word clearly. It's easy to understand, and he would know. Well, that simply just doesn't take into account the progressive revelation of Scripture. The nature of revelation that we have in the Bible, it's, it's a progressive revelation. God did not give us everything he wanted us to have all at once. We see this clearly with the church, and so that type of phenomenon can also be found in other parts of the Bible. You see, God didn't reveal what happened in the gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 until God gave us the full revelation of Job 38, Isaiah 14, and Ezekiel 28. And God did not give us the full revelation of the gap between Daniel 9.26 and 9.27 until he revealed the church, the church age, and the gospel of the grace of God to Paul in Acts chapter 9. So don't tell me there's not a gap in, Gen- in, in Genesis chapter 1 because God never, never does that. He did that with the church age. He hid the church age from Genesis 1-1 to Acts chapter 9. And the church age fits between week 69 and week 70 of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. So look, the church age is found in that space, in that gap. It is a parenthetical gap between week 69 and the crucifixion of Messiah and week 70, which is a tribulation, seven years of tribulation, that ends with the second coming of Christ. This is what God revealed to Paul, Colossians 1.24. Colossians 1.24-27. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says, "...who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in, in my flesh, which is for his body's sake, which is the church." He's talking about the church, the body of Christ, okay, the universal church, verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery 
which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, Paul says, God dispensed something to me, new revelation, the mystery, which was hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. What is that? It is the mystery among the Gentiles. It is the mystery of the body of Christ that we call the church. And God revealed that first to Paul. Again, Galatians 1, 11 and 12. Galatians 1, 11 and 12, Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught, uh, taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse 13, For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more ex exceedingly jealous of the tradition of my fathers. But, he says, Acts chapter 9, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. So Paul says, immediately after I got saved, I went out into the desert. I did not get the gospel that I am preaching from man. I did not receive it from man. I was taught it by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul immediately receives the revelation of the body of Christ. He immediately receives the gospel of the grace of God that God is going to preach to the Gentiles for their salvation, the salvation that the Jews rejected, forgiveness of sins and a new birth. And he says in Ephesians 3, 1 to, to 7, again, very important. For this cause I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation, immediately after his salvation, he, God, made known unto me the mystery. And he says in verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And it was immediately revealed first to Paul. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And so, before we go on with our study, let's take a really quick look at something that is very important in this context. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve, or the eleven if you want to think of it that way, let's just include Matthias and call them twelve. The apostles, they had a very clear understanding of Daniel chapter 9 and the 70 weeks. I want you to go with me if you're, if you're able, you're, if you're looking at your Bible, um, Luke 24, 44 and 45, if you're driving a car, or you're in an elevator, or you're at work, 
Um, just listen, I'll read it to you. Um, Luke 24, 44 and 45. Jesus gave his apostles a very special, and we could even say a supernatural, understanding of the scriptures, even with respect to the prophecies about the Messiah. Luke 24, 44 and 45. The Bible says, and he said unto them, Jesus says unto his apostles, the twelve, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets. Now, wait, 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 wait. Okay, pump the brakes, Judy. Look, Jesus says to them, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. That includes Daniel chapter 9 in the 70th week, 70 weeks, because the prophets, Daniel, part of the prophets, wrote concerning Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Most High, who would be anointed at the consummation. Okay? And so in verse 45, Luke 44, 45, 24, 45, the Bible says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. So, look, Jesus Christ opened, supernaturally, opened the understanding of his apostles. They understood what was written of the Messiah in the Pentateuch, the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, which included Daniel, chapter 9, and the prophecy of the 70 weeks, and in the Psalms. They understood the Scriptures, especially scriptures concerning the Messiah, better than anybody on earth. God gave them special understanding. And so when we get to Acts chapter 1, verse 6, when they, the same apostles, therefore were come together, they asked of him, Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Do you think they're stupid? Do you think they're bunch of, uh, just a bunch of boneheaded fishermen? How many times have we read commentaries, or how many times have we heard sermons of this sloppy doctrine that people throw out at us today? Oh, these poor, stupid fishermen. They're asking about a kingdom, and Jesus is just about to establish the church age. They're asking about the immediate coming of some political kingdom, these poor, deluded disciples, when Jesus, all he wants to do is establish a church for 2,000 years out among the Gentiles. Poor, dumb disciples. Are you serious? When just a few chapters before, in Luke 24, 45, the Bible told you that God opened up supernaturally their understanding and gave him a supernatural comprehension of prophecies about the Messiah, which includes Daniel 9. These guys know prophecy up one side and down the other, and they know the 69th week is done, and they know that within seven years, God could establish the Messianic kingdom. And so they ask, is it coming? Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And in that context, kingdom context, 70th week of Daniel context, 
It says in verse 7, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that, ye, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus Christ never told them no. Jesus Christ never upbraided them. Jesus Christ never corrected them when they asked about the kingdom. He says, look, it's not for us, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. Go preach. Just go preach and we'll see. And I'll ask you again, what did they go preach? Look at Acts chapter 3, 19 to 21. We'll look at it here in a minute. They're preaching the kingdom. They're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're preaching the kingdom is nigh. It's seven years away. We're in the 70th week of Daniel. Repent, Israel. Repent. And the kingdom will come. Be converted. The kingdom will come. Jesus is the king. Accept him. Receive him. The kingdom will come. Don't worry about the timing, Jesus says. Just go preach. And so they do. They go out and they preach. And they're not preaching about the establishment of the church, the body of Christ, and local churches among the Gentiles. They are still among those who are practicing temple worship. They're preaching to Jews about the Jewish Messiah, about the Jewish Davidic covenant, about the fulfillment of all the covenants of promise that God gave to Israel since Abraham. They're preaching the kingdom. They're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're preaching to Jews. They're preaching to Israel. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore, Peter says to the Jews in Jerusalem, be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Seven years and Christ can come back. Seven years, second coming of Christ. Seven years, establishment of the, of the kingdom, verse 21, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, until the 70th week is over which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And who would know better what the prophets taught and preached and promised than Peter and the other 11 apostles that received a supernatural understanding of prophecy concerning the Messiah? So, folks, is the Great Commission, like we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is it for us today, doctrinally, no way, that is that has it is so specifically Jewish that you can't miss it. The disciples of the Lord during the first chapters of the book of Acts, they go out and they preach the kingdom that God promised to Israel. They know there's only one week left. They know there's only 70 weeks left. The Messiah has been cut off but not for himself. He's resurrected. There's one week left. They know it. And the apostles, those, those first believers in the first few book, the first few chapters of the book of Acts, they preach the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9, the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah to establish his kingdom here on the earth. But when Israel rejects that last official offer of the kingdom in Acts chapter 7, when they stone Stephen, then God postpones the fulfillment of Daniel 9.27. God postpones 
the 70th week of Daniel. God stops, if you will, the prophetic stopwatch, the prophetic clock, the prophetic calendar, and we begin this parenthetical gap between week 69 and week 70, something that was never revealed before. And God takes what he had promised to Israel, the salvation that God made possible through the blood of the new covenant, through Jesus Christ. He takes that, what he promised to Israel, salvation. And he takes it out directly to the Gentiles. Romans 11, 11, the Bible says, I say then, have they, have they, the Jews, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Or, or Romans eleven fifteen the same thing. For if the casting away of them, Israel, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? And so when Israel rejected the offer of the kingdom, last time, Acts chapter 7, the leaders in Jerusalem, God raises up Paul. God raises up Paul to take the gospel out to the Gentiles. Acts 9, 15, and 16. Acts 9, 15, and 16, But the Lord said unto him, he's talking to Ananias, who he sent it over to baptize Paul. He says, Go thy way, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so, We'll end with this question. What in the world does all of that have to do with the Great Commission and us today? Because I'm going to leave you here. We're going to stop this episode, and I'm going to leave you here thinking I'm a crazy, weird, whacked-out, hyper-dispensationalist that doesn't believe the Great Commission is for us. Because I want you to come back next week. I want you, Well, next week. I might push this up uh, later on this week. I want you to come back for the next episode. Come back and get some more. Because what I want to do is take that doctrinal context, because you cannot lose the context. You can't miss it unless you have your head so far in that anachronistic hole that you cannot see the cumulative context, the chronological context of the passages of the Great Commission. Look, God gave the Great Commission way before he raised up Paul and gave Paul the revelation of the mystery of Christ that he had hid since the beginning of the world. God did not reveal the church, the body of Christ, and the church age and the gospel of the grace of God until he saved Paul in Acts chapter 9. And when Paul got saved, he immediately, says Galatians 1, went out into the Arabian desert where he received revelation directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. That revelation included the gospel he preached, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it included the mystery of the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile alike, a parenthetical 2,000-year gap between Daniel chapter 920 or 926 and 927, 2,000 years, a gap of a church age that was never revealed before. 
And then once Paul got that revelation and started propagating that revelation around the, the, the Mediterranean Sea, God uses him to establish local churches and take off with the church age. So let me ask you, is the Great Commission for us today, or is the Great Commission only for the apostles during the first few chapters of the book of Acts? Well, I'm going to leave it at that, and I'm going to ask you to come back for the next episode, and we'll continue our study about the Great Commission. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teología101.net. If you'd like to contact me, There's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.